Hey, good morning, and uh, welcome to Mornings with Mac. I hope you've got a copy of God's Word, because this week what I'm going to do is I'm going to take what's been called the seven last words of Christ from the cross. Uh, You can go back, really, to the early church fathers, and uh, they make reference to these statements come up through uh, history, church history, and You'll find from the 1600s on, uh, different uh, preachers uh, through the ages have preached on these. I'm just going to take you and do a devotional thought. And really what I'm going to do, and what I'm doing is I'm basically just sharing with you when I get up in the mornings and I go to sit down to do a devotional, I'm just going to show you how I work through a, a passage of scripture. Uh, Now, this will be a little different because I'm going to deal just with the sayings of Christ. Uh, They are, three of them are in, uh, are, three of them are in Luke, three of them are in John, and one is in Matthew, and the same one is in Mark as well. So we'll look at these. I'm going to begin in Luke chapter 23 this morning, this week of uh, Passion Week. Uh, You're in Luke, if you're there, Luke chapter 23, I'm going to catch up uh, with you, but do this, put your finger right there and go with me back to Isaiah chapter 53, which is that great uh, prophetic passage in Isaiah uh, that gives us this incredible picture of uh, the coming Messiah and the work that he would do on the cross, how he would suffer. It's the passage known as the suffering servant. Uh, I want you to go to the last verse, Isaiah chapter 53, and this is where we'll begin with that first uh, word of Christ from the cross, which is a word of forgiveness. Uh, Isaiah chapter 53, verse 12 says this, therefore I will allot him a portion with the great, and he will divide the booty with the strong because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he himself bore the sin of many, many, now listen to this, and interceded for the transgressors. There is a prophecy about this coming servant who is going to suffer and that as he suffers, he prays for those who are persecuting him. Now, let me take you now to Luke chapter 23, and let me begin back in verse 26. Luke chapter 23, and I'm going to begin in verse 26. Uh, Jesus had clearly already been arrested. Uh, Jesus had uh, gone before uh, Pilate and and Herod and Pilate, and now he is... uh, being led away to the cross. Uh, Luke chapter 23, verse 26. When they led him away, they seized a man, Simon of Cyrene, coming in from the country and placed on him the cross to carry behind Jesus. And following him was a large crowd of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting him. Now, some of them knew him, some of them loved him, some of them had followed him, These ladies that are often designated um, the women of Jerusalem are are the daughters of Jerusalem. 
they would often go with these crucifixion victims in order to give them a narcotic. They couldn't stand to see them suffer. They couldn't stand to see them in pain. And it was a way of trying to minister to them um, and, and lessen the pain that they would endure. Following him was a large crowd of people and the women who were mourning and lamenting him. But Jesus turning to them said, daughters of Jerusalem. Now here's an interesting, Jesus is always concerned about other people and not himself. Now he had already been beaten, lacerated uh, with a cat of nine tails. He's already been beaten. He'd spent the night in, um, after they had arrested him in, in Gethsemane in a pit underneath Caiaphas's house where he would go on trial. Uh, but he turns to the daughters of Jerusalem and he says, stop weeping for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, blessed are the barren and the wounds that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Now you, you recognize that Jesus said that um, uh, concerning uh, the, the period of tribulation, uh, the tribulation period, those seven years of tribulation, especially the last three and a half years of tribulation here, he says, you're going to go through a very terrible time. And he said, um, they're going to say, blessed are you that you did not have a child because you don't have to keep up with that child now in this difficult time. This child doesn't have to go through this difficult time. Then Jesus said, verse 30, then they will begin to say to the mountains, fall on us and to the hills to cover us. Again, that's another reference. You find that in Revelation where during the reign of the Antichrist, uh, the people are going to cry out, you know, for, for nature itself, just to cover them up, to protect them. Then Jesus said this. Now, this is interesting. For if they do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it's dry? Now, that's a parable. That was a proverb. That was a proverb in that day. Now, what in the world did that proverb mean? Well, to be very simple, let me just say this. Uh, for if they do these things when the tree is green. Green, of course, is life. Uh, there's reference in the Psalms of, um, of uh, the olive tree, uh, that it is life that uh, in a place or two, it points to uh, the life of the Messiah. Uh, it would speak of righteousness. For if they do these things to the tree that is righteous, to the man that is righteous, what will happen when it's dry? Now, the dry tree, I think, represents Israel. The green tree, I think, rep represents Christ. And Jesus was saying, um, if they do this to a righteous man, what in the world is going to happen to the unrighteous nation of Israel? Jesus was making reference to what he had already said back in Luke chapter um, 19. When he looked over Jerusalem and he said, if you had known in this day, even you the things which make for peace, but now they've been hidden from your eyes. Now, Jesus said this on Palm Sunday. Uh, yesterday, late in the day, as Jesus comes into the city, he looks over the city, really looking at the city, referring to the city and the nation. The days will come when your enemies will throw up a barricade against you and surround you and hem you in on every side and they will level you to the ground and your children within you, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. Well, that's what Jesus is saying to these women who are there uh, weeping uh, for those that are going to be crucified. Well, they take him on. 
If you look at verse 33, Luke chapter 23, when they came to the place called the skull, there, that's the place, they, that's the executioners, the quaternion. Uh, the quaternion were four Roman soldiers who were experts in, uh, in the art, they would call it an art of execution. Uh, they were the crucioi, as it's called in Latin. They were the ones who carried out crucifixion. The Persians had invented persecution, uh, but the Romans perfected it into the evil thing that it became, the destructive power that it became. Uh, they crucified, that was the deed, him, that was the victim, Jesus. They crucified him and the criminals one on the right and the other on the left, but Jesus was saying. Now, here's an interesting thing. The first word from the cross is a prayer. Of the seven sayings, three of those sayings direct the Father directly. Uh, the first one, the last one, and the middle one. All are addressed to the Father. So he begins this with a prayer, and this is the prayer. Father, forgive them. Now, the interesting thing is this, that is the present tense. If you look at the Greek text, uh, but Jesus was saying, Father, Afiemi, forgive, uh, let go, um, leave alone, um, leave alone them, forgive them, let, let them go, uh, for they are not knowing what they are doing. It's all the present tense, which means this. It's the only one of these uh, that imply that this was repeated and repeated and repeated. Now, I want you to think about this. Uh, the very verb tense here is telling me that this is repeated. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Look at the end of verse 34. And they cast lots, dividing up his garments among them uh, themselves. And he must have been saying, Father, forgive them. And the people stood by looking on, and even the rulers were sneering at him, saying, he saved others. Uh, let him save himself. And he was praying, Father, forgive them. The soldiers mocked him, coming up to him, offering him sour wine, if, saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And, and Jesus was praying, Father, forgive them. Uh, verse 39, one of the criminals who hanged there was hurling him, uh, uh, hurling abuse at him saying, uh, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. And Jesus was praying, Father, forgive them. Through this whole thing, we get the impression here by that Greek verb tense that Jesus continuously was praying, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Now, here's the interesting thing about that is that Jesus was not thinking of himself. Let me show you an interesting thing. If you get over to Acts chapter seven, you come to the deacon Stephen who was stoned. Uh, you remember his great defense and Stephen was a great example and a great man. Um, but you get over here to his defense and they're going to stone him. You recall, this is where Paul was holding the coats of those who stoned him. You come down, Acts chapter seven, verse 59 they went on stoning Stephen as he called on the Lord and said, Lord, receive my spirit. Then falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, like our Lord, Lord, do not hold this 
sin against them. And having said this, he fell asleep, he died. Now, there's much to admire about him, but I just want to point out, and this is no diminishment of Stephen at all, but Stephen prayed for himself first. Over here, Jesus did not. Jesus prayed for those who were persecuting him. While suffering most, he was praying for those who were causing the suffering. He was praying for those who were mocking him. He was praying for those who were laughing at him. He was praying for those who were hurling insults at him. That's what Jesus did. He forgave people. Do you remember the man, the paralytic that was brought to him that they dropped down through the roof and Jesus looks at him and he says to him, your sins are forgiven. Do you remember the woman who was caught in adultery that they brought her out and they were gonna stone her and Jesus looks at her and he says, your sins are forgiven you. That was the ministry of Jesus Christ. Jesus in, Matthew, in Luke chapter 19, just the day before um, Palm Sunday, left the house of Zacchaeus and this is what he said, the son of man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. That was the whole of the ministry of Christ was to forgive. And here with the people who were crucifying him, mocking him, ridiculing him, laughing at him, abusing him, he prays, Father, forgive them. Now, listen to the second part of his prayer. For they do not know what they are doing. Now, that may be as amazing to me is anything else because what he does in the second part of this is he acts like a lawyer and the lawyer comes and says, here is their defense. They do not know what they are doing. They had no idea they were nailing the son of God to the cross. They had no idea the enormity of their sins. Right here, you see Christ's desire for for everyone to be saved, that he comes to our defense. In fact, John tells us we have an advocate with the Father. That advocate, like a lawyer, stands there before the bar, before the judgment seat of God himself, and he pleads our case to the Father. It's an amazing thought, this prayer. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. Now, the question is this, did that, did that prayer have any impact? I never thought of this before until last night, just in looking at this for this morning and early this morning, I think it did. I think to this prayer, you can attribute Acts chapter two, the day of Pentecost, the preaching of Peter that day. He describes the crucifixion of Christ. He shows how the crucifixion of Christ was foretold in the Old Testament. And he, he really, not to use a pun, but he nails them to the wall uh, with this sermon. And they fall under conviction. Now, when they had heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said, repent. Each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
I think you can attribute Pentecost to this prayer. I, th I can draw a direct relation back from the, from, from the day of Pentecost to the prayer of Christ on the, uh, on the cross. Uh, the other thing I can draw back to this is that it was f uh, nearly 40 years before 70 AD, nearly 40 years uh, before the Romans overthrew the city. For, for nearly 40 years, God gave the Jews and Jerusalem the opportunity to respond to the gospel. They took the gospel out. The church did. After Pentecost, uh, they stayed in Jerusalem until the martyrdom of Stephen. And then the church scattered out and went to uh, Judea and then Samaria and then to the uttermost parts of the earth. So I would say God's grace Jesus was praying for grace. God granted grace. He gave them nearly 40 years in Jerusalem before the city was overthrown to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, what does this say to us? You know, some years ago, I had a couple who were, um, they were not from uh, Florida. They were out of another state, but they'd come to hear uh, me preach. Uh, they'd been listening, I think, online, and they came down uh, and after service, I, I didn't know who they were. They came up to me and they shared their story with me. Um, a couple whose daughter um, had died. Um, I can't remember the whole of the story, but I remember the daughter had died. And from that time uh, to that day that they came to see me at church, uh, they basically said, we, we, we've not been able to pray. And uh, the Lord helped me help them. And uh, the Lord helped them through his word. But I come across Christians like that from time to time. I come across people like that. People who have gotten so embittered over something in their life that they can no longer pray. Well, I can't pray. I can't pray anymore. I'm so mad. I'm so upset. I've been so deeply hurt. I've been so deeply wounded. Maybe that's where you are. Maybe you feel that way. I've been so deeply wounded. I've been so deeply hurt. Uh, I, I, can't, I can't pray for that person. I can't pray for this person. I can't pray for them. I just don't even pray because I've been hurt. You've never been hurt like this. You've never been hurt like this. And yet here you hear the perfect Lamb of God who never sinned. You hear Him pray for the very ones who were persecuting him. What a Savior. I pray that you'll think about this today and that God will use it in your life.